I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning. I think we can all agree that yet again, there has been a lot going on in the world over the course of this last week. Just when all of us here in Florida were thinking that things were getting a little bit back to normal, it becomes our state this week that suddenly is breaking records for COVID-19 cases in the country. And yesterday, if you were like me, I bet your phone rang and you got another automatic message call from the city of Jacksonville, this time warning you about sudden poor air quality thanks to dust plumes flying through the air from the Saharan deserts of Africa. Really? Just like me, all that just might be causing you to ask a whole lot of the same questions again. Questions like, what in the world is going on this year? Or this question, what in the world could possibly be happening next? This year. And if you're a person of faith, and I know all of you that are here are, maybe you're beginning to find yourself wondering about whether or not the St. John's River, like the Nile in the times of Moses, is going to turn into blood sometime soon. Or maybe a mass of frogs or an invasion of locusts are about to come and invade us all. And right about now seems like the very correct time to ask God. What in the heaven or hell is he trying to do with all of this insanity? Those are exactly the questions that have been running through my mind yet again over the course of this weekend. And I hate to say it, but if you've been paying any attention to the Bible readings assigned throughout these last few weeks, well, they might be causing you to ask the same kind of questions. Since Trinity Sunday arrived at the beginning of this month, we have been pouring through the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, beginning with the story of creation and then jumping right into the stories of the life of Abraham, who, with his wife Sarah, is the father of all of us in the Judeo-Christian faith traditions. Jews and Christians alike, and with last week's story we heard of Abraham's first son Ishmael, with Muslims as well. And in each of the last three Sunday readings from Genesis, there's always been a twist in the story that's not always been easy for us to deal with. And in fact, might easily cause you to wonder the same thing. What in the world was the Lord trying to do? This morning's lesson is perhaps the hardest reading of all to digest in those stories of Abraham. When I was a little boy, I heard these stories of the Old Testament just like that, as stories. We covered them in my Baptist Sunday school classes, and I never thought any more about them at that time than what my Sunday school teacher said they were meant to be teaching us. But as I've grown older and had children of my own and started reading all of these stories again, the more troubling they've become. And the more I read today's passages, from Genesis chapter 22, the story of God testing Abraham by telling Abraham to take his only son Isaac and sacrifice him on a mountain, the more I wonder why in the world God would ever think it was okay to do such a thing. 
It was just two weeks ago when we read the story of how God went to miraculous lengths to even give Abraham and Sarah a son in the first place. As Genesis chapter 18 says, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Yet, as chapter 18 shows us, with God, nothing is impossible. And Sarah gives birth to a son in her advanced age, which God then promises to use to grow the children of Sarah and Abraham exponentially. Yet here we are this morning in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and God seems to be changing his mind altogether in a particularly cruel way. For just when it seems all is going well for Abraham and his son Isaac, the Bible this morning suddenly tells us that God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. This is God telling Abraham to take his son, the son that God gave to Abraham and Sarah, and to sacrifice him like an animal. Now, certainly in those days, human sacrifice was part of some of the ancient religions of the world. In fact, the Valley of Gehenna, some of you may know, which is located outside of Jerusalem, will be mentioned by the prophet Jeremiah as a place cursed for its worship of other gods and for the sacrifice of children. By the time Jesus arrives, Gehenna was so abominable in the minds of the Jews that it becomes the very name Jesus uses in the Gospels to describe a terrible place of torment that will eventually become known as the description of hell. Yes, Abraham and the children that will follow him will sacrifice animals to pay the wages of their sin. But God will say in the book of Jeremiah that human sacrifice never even comes into God's thoughts. So why then would God decide so early on to test Abraham by asking him to do something so heinous as to sacrifice his only beloved son? Well, all the church can really agree on with this is that it simply must have been the extreme test of faith needed by God to see if Abraham was fully willing to put his faith into action through trust and obedience to God. There certainly could be nothing more painful or excruciating to ever set before a parent. So God uses this terrible test to see if Abraham is truly who Abraham claimed to be in his relationship with God. And it doesn't take long for God to get the answer that I'm sure God was looking for. The Bible says that when God commanded Abraham to do this immediately, Abraham rose in the early morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. There, Abraham takes little time doing exactly the rest of what God commanded. He builds an altar, he places the wood upon it for the fire, he binds his son Isaac, and then raises his blade to finish it. And in that instant, as we know, God stops Abraham's hand just in time. And as I'm sure you remember if you had Baptist Sunday school classes like me, what suddenly appears but a ram caught by his horns, the Bible says, in a thicket behind Abraham. And it will be that ram 
which then takes the place of sacrifice instead of Isaac. The end. But does that ending really make this story any less terrible? Certainly today in the 21st century, this is hard to stomach any way you try to cut it. Once more, the story has taken us to a different level and it's caused some modern Christians to fall into the trap of considering that the God of the Hebrew Bible must somehow not be the same God as the God of Jesus in the New Testament. Yet, brothers and sisters, no matter how painful this story is today, God is God. Jesus never accepted the separation of the God of Abraham and Isaac from the God Jesus himself calls Abba Father. Certainly, it is our 21st century minds that have lost the ability to fathom the struggle, spiritually and otherwise, which was going on when God chose Abraham to not just be God's believer and follower, but to be nothing less than the very father of God's own chosen people, to right the wrong of sin and to restore God's creation. Maybe we can begin to understand it if I put it this way. Imagine that you once created something incredible and wonderful. Maybe you built your own house. Maybe you put together a car. Maybe you painted a great work of art. Maybe you wrote a novel. Maybe you mapped out a new highway and a bridge system that would greatly speed up the passage of people from here to the other side of the state. And then imagine that someone you trained and mentored and invested everything you had in to take care of your creation suddenly let you down, causing you to have to find a new way to restore that which is still incredible, but is no longer doing what you intended it to do when you created it. In that situation, you certainly want to ensure that the new person you find that you're going to work with and train is the right person to get everything back on track to complete this restoration. Well, that's where God is with Abraham this morning. God had woven creation from nothing and breathed life into human beings to live in creation in the image of God, their creator. And then humanity had fallen, disobeying God and allowing sin and death to come into the world, which is something God never intended when he created it. So God has chosen Abraham to be his new beginning. God needed someone to begin a new family, those who could be God's dedicated children again. God chooses Abraham and Sarah, and then God begins the process with Abraham and Sarah by giving them a son, Isaac. But we do not know what has happened with Abraham as Isaac has grown older. We've seen Abraham respond to the agitation of Sarah and cast out another son, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, Abraham and Sarah's servant. Maybe that decision causes God to have concern. Whatever has happened, God decides that Abraham must be tested. And God, therefore, asked Abraham to do what seems to be the unfathomable. There is some indication that Abraham is aware that this is just a test in the Bible. Abraham says to the two young men who go with him to Mount Moriah that both he and his son Isaac will be returning. And when Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb that is to be sacrificed? Abraham says to Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Did Abraham know? 
Did he really think God would let something like this happen? Well, regardless of what Abraham thought, he did not falter in following God's direction. He took his faith in a God who provides and provides always and put that faith into action, even when the very thing God was asking him to do would have done, undone everything that God had promised to Abraham before. But when Abraham finally raises his knife, God ends the test immediately, saying to Abraham through an angel, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Well, we Christians cannot read this morning's story, I hope, without foreseeing its connection to another beloved son who will be asked to be offered up and sacrificed for the sins of the world. It is, in fact, just as Abraham himself says to his son Isaac in the story we just heard. God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. Of course, the lamb of God is God's beloved son, Jesus Christ, who is sacrificed not as burnt offering but on a cross in order to finally begin the finishing of God's reworking which began with Abraham, to destroy the wages of sin, which just as St. Paul says in the epistle to the Romans this morning, is death. God's only begotten son dies in order to destroy death and sin for all of us who are no longer just children of Abraham but who are now being restored as full children of God through the Lamb who died and rose again, Jesus Christ. So, what are we to make of these questions that we face when it seems like our world is coming undone? When viruses and dust clouds from African deserts and great division and twists and turns that we never imagined would really ever happen suddenly are showing up and shaking our families and our communities and our worlds. What can we do? But we can only do, I believe, as Abraham did. We must trust God. In times like these, we must not lose our faith. Instead, we must put our faith into action. We have to get up and get moving, whether we can ever even leave our homes. And we must share the hope of Jesus with our neighbors and with our world, letting everyone know that God will provide if we just obey and turn ourselves over to Jesus. Because through the Lamb that was slain to save us, we are already children of God. And if, brothers and sisters, we are children of God, then no matter what plague ever descends upon us, we truly have nothing of which to be afraid. And for that, we can all say, thanks be to God. Amen.